This is Tailgate Till May, your place for year-round college sports gambling talk and all of the biggest college sports stories. If you are the kind of fan who shows up on campus ready to tailgate in late August, early September for football, you stay all through football, then you stay for basketball and finally finish up in the spring with baseball, softball, lacrosse, whatever other spring sport you like, this is the place for you. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at GorgOnSports. I'm excited to be back to talk about week one of the college football season and what a day it was. We're not quite done yet. I'm recording this on a Sunday. The Oregon State-San Jose State game is in progress right now, and then we have the big one, LSU and FSU tonight followed by Duke and Clemson on Monday. So we still got some more football left, but I figured most of the week is done. I want to come to you and I want to break it all down. Now, before we get into the actual games here, I did not have a very good Saturday. No, 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 I did not. Started off really nice on the weeknight slate. One in Nebraska plus seven and a half bet. One of Miami, minus 16 and a half bet in the Battle of Miami's on Friday night was feeling really good. And then Saturday hit and things went south for me. One just a single bet yesterday, and that was Iowa Utah State under 44 and a half. I lost the Utah State team total under nine and a half. I lost that in the last three minutes of the game, and it seemed like after that, everything went south for me. So, so far on week one, I am three and seven against the spread. Well, against the spread and on money line bets because that has my UTSA minus 118 money line bet against Houston in there. I am 0-1 on my money line parlays of the week, and I am down 5.27 units for the week. That's okay. The week's not over. We still have some games in play, and we have a long football season ahead. Look, if you've never had a bad week, if you're betting college football every week, you've never had a bad week, you're lying to yourself. And you know what you do when you have a bad week? You get yourself back in the lab. You study. You review the film. You review the tape. You get better. You find out where your weaknesses are. You find out where you gotta, where you can take advantage of your strengths. And you go at it the next week. And you get back on track. And that's exactly what we're going to do here. This is not a show where we run away from our bad losses. Where we run away from our bad takes. We fight right through them. We take a look in the mirror and we see how we can get better. So not a good week for me, but I am ready to battle it, battle back and get on the right track here. And the way we do that is by breaking it all down and seeing where we have opportunity. So let's get into these games and the only place you can start if you're talking about college football and week one is what Colorado did yesterday to TCU in Deion Sanders' debut as the Buffaloes head coach. Colorado wins outright 45-42 to at TCU as a 20-and-a-half-point underdog. And yes, I bet TCU in this game. Yes, I have been down on Colorado 
all offseason long. I bet they're under three and a half regular season win total. I talked relentlessly about how there was just too much turnover. They didn't have enough depth. I didn't believe in them. This is a team that didn't have a lot of talent last year, was not very good last year. Sanders comes in, kind of flips it completely on its head, and he brought in talent. I just didn't think that he had brought I, I didn't think you could bring in that many new pieces that quickly and, and have it work right away. And boy, oh boy, was I wrong yesterday because Colorado looked fantastic in that win over TCU. That offense was going lightning fast. It was a track meet. All TCU games are kind of end up being track meets and are fun in that way. And so got to call out TCU there because it feels like anytime TCU's in a game, it's worth the price of admission. But the story yesterday was the Colorado Buffaloes. It was Shador Sanders at quarterback throwing for 510 yards and four touchdowns. It was Travis Hunter, the former number one recruit in the country, playing both ways as a defensive back and a wide receiver. He had an unbelievable pick in that game. He had 11 catches for 119 yards. And then it was Dylan Edwards, the running back, who, although a running back, really made his name in the passing game yesterday with 135 yards and three touchdowns. He was just an explosive play machine. He's a freshman, and uh, according to some of the postgame Came comments. He's a guy that Deion Sanders coached since he was four years old in youth football. And that's a big part of the reason why he chose to play for Colorado. So all in all, just a super impressive performance by the Colorado Buffaloes yesterday and really changes the country's perspective on Colorado. It really changes my perspective on Colorado and what I think they can accomplish this season. I now very much think this is a team that needs to be thought of as a bowl team. They can certainly make a bowl game. I think that three and a half number is wildly low. And again, I was somebody who thought, yeah, they're going to struggle mightily this year. This schedule is too tough. This Pac-12 is too tough. And now it seems like they are going to give a lot of teams trouble if they can score like they did yesterday it was just a, a a beautiful offensive performance and a really fun storyline now to have in college football look yesterday Deion Sanders after the game he said he kept receipts he kept receipts on everybody who didn't believe in them and, it, and it's kind of funny because there are plenty of people in the world of college football who said I'm skeptical of this I don't know if it's gonna work right away but there was also plenty of people who said this is the greatest thing to ever happen. He's going to win right away. I mean, if you look at some of the betting odds last year, people were jumping on them like crazy when he first got hired. I think their season win total actually opened at something like five and a half before it went down to that three and a half number when he completely turned over the entire roster. So I think there's plenty of people on both sides of this thing. There were plenty of people who said, He's definitely going to get the job done. And there are plenty that also said, I'm skeptical. I'm going to wait. But the way Deion Sanders was talking yesterday, it was like they won the national championship winning that game. And I understand why he's excited. Uh, that's how you build excitement in a program. He obviously has very high aspirations there. He has a lot of things that he wants to get done at Colorado. Um, and that's how you start 
That's how you start building that momentum with a win like that by going out on national TV and putting up 45 points and beating the team that was in the national championship game last year and playing what looked like a really fun style of football under offensive coordinator Sean Lewis, who they actually got from, he was Kent State's head coach, and he left Kent State to become Colorado's offensive coordinator. And there is definitely excitement in Boulder right now. There's excitement around that program like I haven't seen in my lifetime. I kind of just missed the glory days of Colorado, of them being a national championship contender. And I knew of it, but I haven't really seen it with my own eyes. And there is certainly a new level of excitement around this program. And as far as Deion Sanders talking trash, well, that's Deion Sanders. And I respect it. You win, you can talk trash. But I, I kind of like it for another reason, too, because I feel like college football has gotten so corporate. So many of these coaches come from this school of media training where it's cliche after cliche after cliche. And you, they're just kind of up there saying, well, we got to take care of the football. We got to watch the tape and see where we made mistakes and go back and fix it. We, you know, it's all about ball security. We want to run the ball, want to play defense. It's just cliche, 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 cliche. There's a lack of anybody saying anything interesting. There's no Steve Spurrier out there who's just going to sit around and shoot the breeze and say, can't sell Bell Citrus without UT, things like that. Uh, it's kind of what made college football fun. And I think a big part of the college football coach that I have mine in my mind back in the 90s, I think even more so in the 70s and 80s, you saw a lot of coaches with these big personalities. And, and that's a aspect of college football that was unique and different and made it really fun when you think about the Barry Switzers of the world, Jimmy Johnson, Steve Spurriers. Those are some of the guys that pop off the page to me. And then even more recently, Mike Leach is kind of a guy who had a big personality. He was one of the few left that had a big personality in the game of college football. And I, I think from that perspective, it's fun to have Deion Sanders around because he is going to talk. Now, I'm interested to see what that sounds like when Colorado loses because Colorado is not going undefeated. They're not going to win the national championship and eventually they are going to lose a game and it's going to be interesting to see what it sounds like when they lose a game. But I, I'm here for all of it. I think it's a great storyline for this season. And Deion Sanders mentioned yesterday after the game, he feels like they have a couple Heisman front runners right now. Well, he's not wrong. Because the stat lines that his guys put up yesterday were unreal. And you, you just got to marvel at what Travis Hunter did playing both sides of the football. Uh, he is a talented athlete and a guy that is just going to be so much fun to watch all year. And what's going to make that even more fun is the competition he's going up against all season long. Because, man, did the Pac-12 look good yesterday. The Pac-12 has not yet lost a game this college football season. As we record this, Oregon State is beating San Jose State 35-10, to 10, so it looks like that's going to be another loss for me in week one. I had San, San Jose State plus 16 there. I mean, it's still possible to get that backdoor cover, but not looking great. So it looks like the Pac-12 will go undefeated in week one of the college football season. And it's great to see from a league that for a myriad of reasons is going away, but every single one of its schools 
has a win in the win column. USC has two kicking off the season in week two. And if you look at some of the scores around that league yesterday, I see an 81, a 58, a 66, a couple of 66s, uh, I believe. I think, let's see, USC had a 66. And did somebody else have a 66? Uh, no, Washington had a 56. Cal had a 58. Washington, a 50. You look at those scores and you're like, is this a Big Ten? Ba- are these Big Ten basketball scores or are these football scores? This looks like Friday at the Big Ten turn- basketball tournament, putting up numbers in the 60s and 80s here. And that's just the kind of league that the Pac-12 is going to be this year. And it's not just the schools at the top, right? I mean, I'm going to get into Washington in a second because I think Washington had one of the most impressive performances of the day. But it's a school like like Cal yesterday. Cal goes on the road to North Texas and North Texas going through some transition there, the first year head coach, and they win 58-21 on the road. We obviously just talked about Colorado a ton. Washington State also goes on the road to Fort Collins, uh, Colorado State program that, that struggled a bit here. But under new OC Ben Arbuckle coming from Western Kentucky, they put up a 50 spot. They put up a 50 burger. Cam Ward has a big day, 451 yards, three touchdowns, adds another on the ground. It's those mid to bottom tier teams in the Pac-12 that look like even they are going to be able to put up points this year. They are going to play a really fun style. And then at the top, Oregon sets a a modern school record with 81 points against Portland State. Washington absolutely blows out Boise. 56-19, Michael Penix gets the Heisman campaign off to a hot start. 450 yards, five touchdowns, and every time that man throws the ball, it looks like he is launching a rocket. He has so much pop. He can throw that long ball. It's a beautiful long ball that he throws and a ton of fun to watch. And I'm rooting for Michael Penix hard and the Washington Huskies hard because I have a lot of futures on them. And the way this week one started, I need some of those futures to hit. So uh, unbelievable start for Washington against a Boise State team that's expected to win the Mountain West. And that's an impressive win, maybe the most impressive win outside of Colorado's in the Pac-12 this week. And then USC does what USC always does. They score 66 points. They beat Nevada 66 to 14. So all in all, a super impressive week for the Pac-12. I think this was the most impressive conference in the country this week. The offenses are just unreal. They had five teams so far this season in the top 30 in passes per game. Cal, Washington State, and Colorado were all in the top 10 in plays per game. And there's five quarterbacks. Um, You got Michael Penix, Shador Sanders. Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, and Cam Ward all in the top 30 in ESPN's QBR rating. When these teams get together, if the total is under 70, I feel like that's a that's a play. These offenses are so good, and the defenses don't look to be that great so far. And I just feel like we are going to see over after over after over. I don't think they can make these overs high enough. If we can get some numbers... If we're getting numbers like 63, I feel like that's an autoplay. 66, I feel like you got to play it. 
under 70 feels like it's going to be a good play to go over in some of these big time Pac-12 matchups. And we're going to get a ton of them this year. And in all of this, I haven't even mentioned Utah getting that win over Florida on Thursday night without Cam rising. So I could not be more excited about this league in 2023. It's a shame for a, for a million reasons that, that the Pac-12 is going to cease to exist as we know it after this season. It's a shame that all of these schools could go elsewhere and the TV networks are willing to pay them separate but not together. They were willing to pay USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon if they were going to go play Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan, but not if they were going to play Utah and Colorado. It's a real shame. It's a shame, but enjoy this season. Enjoy this Pac-12 because it's going to be a ton of fun to watch all season long. Next topic I want to get to here are a couple powerhouses, Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama, all breaking in new quarterbacks yesterday and all doing it to various extents of success. Uh, The game I'll start with here was the Ohio State-Indiana game, and I had big expectations for Ohio State in this game. I bet the over in this game. I think it was, let's see, 59 in a, a 59 points uh and I went over on that and I bet Ohio State over 44 and a half points on the team total. Those are my two favorite bets of the day and I laid it all out on our week 1 preview show, but I thought the combination of Ohio State breaking in two new quarterbacks wanting to get in a groove, they still had a bit of a competition going on and it sounded like they were going to play both quarterbacks And they weren't going to hold back if they were trying to still figure out is Kyle McCord our guy or is Devin Brown our guy. I also thought that Indiana, typically a fast-paced team under Walt Bell, I thought that would kind of play into a faster-paced game, a higher-scoring game. Well, all of that turned out to be false. Indiana really milked the clock. It seemed like that was their strategy, was to limit possessions in this game. And then... Devin Brown really didn't play a whole lot. I think he basically got one series, but other than that, it it was Kyle McCord's game. And Ryan Day, after the game, said basically, I would have liked to see Devin play a little bit more, but we have to do what's best for the team. And they were worried about a rhythm and throwing things off. And and I understand it, given that it was a 10-3 game at halftime. And this is just not what you come to expect from Ohio State. Kyle McCord goes 20 of 33 on the day, 239 yards, no touchdowns, and a pick. And even from a run game perspective, Trip Trainum, he went eight carries, 57 yards for just over seven yards per carry. But Travion Henderson, under four yards per carry. Mayan Williams, under four yards per carry. Ryan Day mentioned that after the game, that he'd like to see both those guys at a little higher clip per carry as well. So it was a a disappointing start for the Ohio State offense. Marvin Harrison and Emeka Abuka, basically invisible, combined for five catches and 34 yards. 
a super disappointing start to the season for them. But it looked like that was kind of Indiana strategy. They were going to take those guys away and make somebody else beat them. And that's kind of what they did. So on the bright side for Ohio State, it was a great defensive performance. They really limited Indiana. I don't see Indiana being a great offense, but they did hold Indiana to 153 yards, and that's nothing to sneeze at, and it's something Ohio State has struggled with. They struggled defensively. They struggled limiting the big play, and I thought the defense had a a very impressive game. Ryan Day sounded happy about that after the game. He said, you know, it's okay for us to be excited about good defense. And he tried to emphasize that part of things. But I understand why this game would disappoint Ohio State fans because they've come to expect such a prolific offense as long as Ryan Day has been there. I mean, you just look at their their last two quarterbacks and CJ Stroud and Justin Fields, and it's just there's a level of expectation there with that offense that's very hard to match. And we'd heard good things. Everything I had heard from the people who are on the ground in Columbus, cover that team on a daily basis, is that the staff really liked both McCord and Devin Brown. It wasn't as much a matter of deciding you know, is, is one, can one guy do the job? It's no, we think both these guys are really good and we just got to figure out the one who gives us the best chance to win. But based on this game, my overreaction of the week would be, it's really entrenching me in an opinion I already had is that this is Michigan's division and conference to lose. Ohio State clearly has to get some things figured out offensively. The defense looked good, but they're going to have to show me that kind of performance. They're going to have to show me they can carry this team against a team at a higher quality or a higher caliber of opponent than Indiana before I'm going to believe that Ohio State is now this team that's defense first and the defense can carry them to a division championship, especially when you have Michigan going out and Michigan, you know, didn't play anybody. They didn't play a world beater. They played uh, ECU, but they go out without Jim Harbaugh and they just handle business like they should. 30 to three. Uh, they actually threw the ball a bunch with McCarthy before the game got out of hand. He goes for 280 yards, three touchdowns. They kind of split the carries between Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum, 10 carries for Corum, 12 for Edwards, and they combined for 100 yards. I We've talked about this in our preview show, but I like that split there for them. Don't wear those guys down until you re- and so you have them when you need to lean on them when you get to Penn State, when you get to Ohio State, and when you get to the college football playoff. To me, this is Michigan's division to lose. That was the opinion that I always held. Uh, that's why I bet them to win the national championship this year. And after week one in Ohio State's offensive performance, I'm even more firmly entrenched in that opinion because I thought the one thing I could always count on with Ohio State is especially with a receiver receiving core like that, they would be able to go out and throw that ball around and and move the ball up and down the field, even if they didn't have a quarterback quite the caliber of a top five NFL draft pick. I thought that was something that that we could always kind of rely on from Ohio State. And maybe they have to be more run heavy. I do like those running backs in that room. They've had good success in the past. 
but they're breaking in a new offensive line this year. They're breaking in two new tackles. So it remains to be seen what exactly that offense is going to look like. Moving on to those other two powers, the SEC powers, Georgia and Alabama. So Georgia also a little bit of a shakier performance. Yes, they win the game 48 to 7, but this was a game that was far closer than you would have expected it to be against UT Martin deep into the the second quarter. It was it was 14 to nothing with uh, about 5 minutes to go in the second quarter ends up being 17 to nothing at halftime and then Georgia pours it on a bit more in the second half and i don't know Georgia it just feels like Georgia is maybe not the absolute machine offensively that we've come to expect now i again that would be a a week one overreaction for sure but Carson Beck goes 21-31, just under 300 yards, throws a touchdown, no picks. Brock Vandegrift also got some time in there, threw a couple passes, looked decent. But it's it's just a, a situation where you can't be sure until the competition steps up, and you would really like to see them put UT Martin away earlier. You would like to see them go up and down the field in the first half. If you were going to say, okay, we're sure that Carson Beck is the guy who's going to be able to, to step right in and replace Stetson Bennett here, because for Stetson Bennett's story and you know, how, how little the fan base trusted him at times, he became a guy who was very important to that team and really thrived on that team. So, you know, for them to come out, go three and out, then they get a touchdown drive, but then they go three and out again. um, And they kind of, that offense just stalled a lot in the first half. It's, it's not the most inspiring thing in the world, but it's not the, it's, it's not something where I'm ready to pull the alarm quite yet. Fortunately for Georgia, they have the schedule to ease into this thing. They have Ball State next week, and then they have their first real test, if you can really call it that, with South Carolina. Yes, it's a conference game. It's SEC competition. It's certainly a step up from UT Martin and Ball State. But if you look at what North Carolina did to them yesterday, and we'll get to that one in in just a second here, South Carolina has some concerns on in the trenches, and that's not where you want to be when you're placed in Georgia. So it'll be interesting to watch next week next week against Ball State and then that South Carolina game. They have UAB after that. Really, they need to get this quarterback situation figured out before they go on the road at Auburn to end the month. The other team in the state of Alabama that's not Auburn is the Alabama Crimson Tide. They are the third power here breaking in a new quarterback. And Jalen Milrow, I thought, looked really good yesterday. Uh, They go out and they have a overall pretty dominant performance against Middle Tennessee State. Kind of reminded yesterday in that win for Alabama 
about Jalen Milrose's legs and and what kind of athlete he is and what he can do with his legs and and that dimension to his game. He combines for three passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, and they of course have that big matchup looming with Texas next week. I thought of the of these three teams, I think Jalen Milrow is the is the best option of these three. He's the best option of Carson Beck and and Kyle McCord. I, I would take Jalen Milrow over those other two guys right now. Now, if he gets hurt, they have to go to Tyler Buckner, then I, I don't feel as good about it. But as long as Jalen Milrow is healthy, I think he's a talented guy that can make some plays and and can do enough for them to win. And you know, uh, of course, this was just middle, middle Tennessee State, but that Alabama defense did go for seven tackles for loss, three sacks, held them to seven points. And I, I think we just forget that Alabama top to bottom is one of the top two rosters in the country along with Georgia. It's Georgia and Alabama who have built, been building war machines for the last however many years now. Alabama also goes for 205 yards on the ground. Milrow contributes 48 of those yards. And then they they had a plethora of other runners contribute there. So I, I still really like this Alabama team. I love the roster top to bottom. And I think Milrow is a good choice. And if I of those three teams, Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama, if I was an Alabama fan, I would be feeling the best uh, out of those three powerhouses breaking in the new quarterbacks. I want to finish off these big topics here by talking about that North Carolina, South Carolina game, because North Carolina deserves massive, massive props for the defensive effort they put in that game yesterday. North Carolina completely flipped the script on what we expect from a team for so long. It's been North Carolina is all offense. If they're going to win a game, they're going to have to do it by scoring 50 points. You can't trust the defense. They're going to give up big plays. They're not going to create havoc. Well, that was not the case yesterday. North Carolina sacks Spencer Rattler nine times yesterday. They had 16 tackles for a loss yesterday. What an impressive way to flip the script by North by the North Carolina Tar Heels and the Gene Chizik led defense. North Carolina what is number 8 right now in the country in defensive havoc, a uh, defensive havoc percentage with a 26% defensive havoc percentage percentage. So Havoc is a metric I will reference a lot throughout the season. It's one of the advanced stats I really like, and it's actually a a really simple one. So all Havoc is, it's the percentage of plays where the defense either forces a fumble, makes a tackle for a loss, defends a pass, or intercepts a pass. So how many plays one of those things happened divided by the total number of plays? Well, North Carolina did one of those things on over a quarter of the defensive plays yesterday. So just an unbelievably disruptive disruptive performance from the North Carolina defense. And I was on another show yesterday uh, 
the Go Irish, the Irish podcast hosted by a friend of mine, Brett Ubel, and I was breaking down the Notre Dame NC State game with him. And one of the things he asked me about was if NC State could be an ACC championship contender. And I said that I liked NC State and Pitt actually ahead of North Carolina if there was going to be a third team not in that. Clemson, Florida State tier who could sneak in to the ACC championship game. Well, guess what? If North Carolina's defense can come to play like this, if they can bring it like this on a weekend and week out basis, then North Carolina is the clear third team in that conference. And they're a team that can absolutely compete for an ACC championship and try to sneak in there ahead of Clemson or Florida State. You pair a disruptive defense like that with Drake May, and you really got something going there. Now, on the flip side of things, this should be concerning for South Carolina. The offensive line has been a concern for South Carolina for a long time. Unfortunately, I didn't bet this one. I said my lean in this one was North Carolina minus two and a half, but I just felt like there was too many question marks. But there were more question marks on the South Carolina side, and that's why I was leaning that way. They had to replace a lot. They, they had a lot of turnover. They had lost a lot of transfers after that really hot end of the season last year, and I thought North Carolina minus two and a half was was a decent play, didn't pull the trigger on it. And uh, sometimes that feels even worse than a loss to me. When you like a bet, you think that might be the right play, but you don't pull the trigger on it. That That's that's worse than a loss to me sometimes. So that's kind of how I'm feeling about that North Carolina, South Carolina game. Really impressive job by North Carolina and that Gene Chizik defense. And South Carolina has a lot to think about, and they have Georgia in two weeks. It's going to be interesting to watch going forward how much of that was the North Carolina defense stepping up and how much of it is that a South Carolina offensive line and offense going through a lot of transition and maybe just isn't very good right now and is going to need to improve a lot as the season goes on if if they want to compete at all in the SEC. Want to wrap up the show today with a little bit of a look ahead to week two. So Alabama, Texas is the big one in week two. And I do have a bet in on this one already. I snapped up Alabama minus six and a half. Uh, as soon as I saw it pop today, I do think there's good value in getting Alabama at less than a than at less than a touchdown at home. I've talked about how they still have this great roster top to bottom. Uh I also have not been impressed with the Texas offense and I I have questions about Quinn Yours and that offense and why we're making this assumption that they're going to take this monster step forward this year. They beat Rice 37 to 10. But that was not a super impressive performance, especially in the first half. It was a slog in the first half. It was 16 to 3 Texas at halftime. And Texas a couple times got stopped. Went for it on fourth down, got stopped. It seemed like they were having trouble converting in big situations, which is something that that really worries me. They also benefited a lot from Rice turning the ball over. Rice turned the ball over three times, and and they benefited from that. And I was not super impressed 
by that Texas team yesterday. Quinn yours goes 19 for 30. No picks. That's a it's a good thing for yours there. But in the run game, they were at about four yards per carry. You would like to see that a little higher uh, against Rice. And Rice was fairly disruptive at times. Rice had eight tackles for loss in this game and two sacks. So I- I'm worried a little bit about that Texas line against Alabama and Al and you know again just like with Georgia a place you don't want to be weak against Alabama is in the trenches so I really like Alabama in that game in Tuscaloosa it's a different story when you're in Tuscaloosa yes I remember the game last year but that game last year was in Austin and I think it's I got reminded again about it yesterday. Jalen Milrow, he's an explosive player. He's an explosive athlete. He can make things happen. I like him to make things happen. I think Alabama's roster is better top to bottom. And I don't quite yet trust Quinn yours in these big games. I don't trust him not to make a mistake. I don't trust him to go out there and put up a 60 plus percent. Uh, completion percentage in a game like this. He did it yesterday. He was he was just over, but it was like it, it just it didn't watching it. It didn't feel impressive. It felt like a slog, and that offense seemed like it was having trouble converting at key moments. and And that's not something I really feel comfortable with when you're taking a team into Tuscaloosa. I also don't love angles like this where it's like previous Saban assistants never beat Nick Saban but so it's not that for me but if you're just looking at the two coaches Steve Sarkeesian versus Nick Saban I'm taking Nick Saban I'm taking Nick Saban 150 times out of 100 times Nick Saban is one of the greatest football coaches Ever and Steve Sarkeesian was nicknamed Seven Win Steve because he consistently wins seven games. I'm just not sold on this Texas team quite yet. They have a big chance to prove it to me and the rest of the country. And if they do, I'll give them their props just like I gave Colorado their props. But right now, I do really like getting Alabama laying less than a touchdown here. So that's the one game um, I'm definitely in on for this week. The other game that I'm liking is Washington State plus four and a half hosting Wisconsin. So it was interesting with Wisconsin. They bring in Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle brings in Phil Longo as the offensive coordinator. And we thought, okay, based on his time at North Carolina, they're going to throw the ball around a ton. And really, in that game against Buffalo, the strength of that Wisconsin offense was what it always is. It's it's the run game. And they combined, I think their running, running backs, or I think their running game combined for over 300 yards, 314 yards, four touchdowns. Tanner Mordecai threw a couple of picks in that game. And, you know, this is certainly not on the same level as Wisconsin for Washington State, but the Cougars did a really nice job stopping the run in their game over the weekend against Colorado State. Colorado State, nowhere near the same level 
as Wisconsin, but I thought they did a nice job in that game, stopping the run. And I, I think this high powered, fast pace, fling it around the yard offense at Washington state. I think it fits cam ward really well. I think that Washington state can turn this one into a bit of a track meet and make Wisconsin throw the ball, make Wisconsin go away from that running game and, and make them keep up with them and make them score. And yeah, we we've seen Tanner Mordecai do it at, S at uh, SMU, you know, he's a, he's a good quarterback there. He's used to that kind of style, but I'm just not sure yet that the rest of that roster is necessarily equipped to get into a shootout. So I, I like Washington State there at plus four and a half. Those are the two early games that I'm playing this week. Those are the two bets that I, I've already put in and I will be back later this week for the week two preview. Uh, got to get back in the lab. Got to watch the tape. Got to use my cliches here and got to get better because it was not a good week one. So I got to figure out what I can learn from week one, come back wetter, better for week two. So we can all have a much more enjoyable, much more profitable week two of the college football season. Enjoy the big game tonight, everybody. LSU and Florida State, it should be a good one. Whether you want this pick or not, I'm going to tell you it. Again, I am on FSU plus three, although I think that number has come down a lot. Uh, I think it's, I'm seeing it now around one one and a half. So it seems like a lot of money was coming in on that FSU plus three number, driving it down. Again, I I think that FSU can win this game. And I think FSU can have a lot of success against the LSU secondary. So I'm going to also take a look at some player props there on Jordan Travis passing yards, Johnny Wilson receiving yards, Keon Coleman receiving yards. I, I could see I could see that passing game for Florida State having a big big day. And I think they need to have a big day if they want to win this game. But should be a really good one, should be a fun one. Definitely be definitely the big game of the week and I'm really looking forward to it so I will be back later this week to preview all the week two action with you we'll break down the Alabama Texas game in more detail we'll go through what I'm watching and then of course we will spray the board and try to get back on track in week two until next time keep the grill hot and the cooler cold